How you guys doing? Everyone's been asking how we've been doing since Taylor left on Monday. We're doing fine, kind of, sort of. No, we're doing well. And we thank you for, uh, several of you contacted us during the week just to say you're praying for us. So thank you. You're very kind. So she's doing well. We, the last we heard from her was on Monday afternoon. She landed in Oklahoma and got to the base and she goes, hey, I'm here safe. And then they took her phone. <laughs> so she's doing fine. No news is good news, right? So hey, uh, so kiddos. You will be following Auntie Renee, <laughs> the white sweater. Oh, there's, there's Sunny. You didn't know you are back. Follow Sunny, and she's the teacher today. Thank you, Sunny. Thank you for ministering to our kiddos. And the rest of you, get your Bibles open. We're in Hosea today. No, we're in Matthew. I'm just kidding. <laughs> That's, that, was, that was the appropriate response, so thank you very much. <laughs> You're listening. So we are back in Matthew, and... Um, we're going to be covering verses 15 through 28 today, and yes, we will be finishing 15 through 28 today. <laughs> yeah, I hear the grumbling. We are going to cover it. So hey, let me read this, and then, um, yeah, we'll, we'll start walking into this here. So we're at uh, Matthew 24, verse 15. Again, we're, he's already started. In verse 4, he starts laying out what the end times are going to look like. Verses 4 through 14, where the general characteristics that are going to be increasing intensity, but then he starts getting very focused. Verse 15 is a very specific sign, all right? An unusual sign. So when you see the abomination of desolation spoken of by the prophet Daniel, standing in the holy place, and then Matthew inserts a little uh, comment here, let the reader understand. So that means, hey, go look back at Daniel, which we will today. Let the reader understand. Then let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. Let the one who is on the housetop not go down to take what is in his house. And let the one who is in the field not turn back to take his cloak. And alas, for women who are pregnant and for those who are nursing infants in those days, pray that your flight may not be in winter on a Sabbath. For then there will be great tribulation. Such has not been from the beginning of the world until now, no and never will be. And if those days had not been cut short, no human being would be saved. But for the sake of the elect, those days will be cut short. Then, if anyone says to you, look, here is the Christ, or there he is, do not believe it. For false Christs and false prophets will arise and perform great signs and wonders so as to lead astray, if possible, even the elect. See, I've told you beforehand. So if they say to you, look, he's in the wilderness, don't go out there. If they say, look, he's in the inner rooms, don't believe it. For as the lightning comes from the east and shines as far as the west, so will be the coming of the Son of Man. Wherever the corpse is, there the vultures will gather. God, thank you for your word. Thank you that we have not only promises um, about, about your love for us, and we do sing to you the praises of what you have done. Lord, we also have in your word what you are going to do, a sure future, your future return, your future conquest, your victory. And Lord, I, I can't wait for that. Well, your, your name and your claims will be vindicated for all to see, and every knee shall bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. 
So Lord, we have this certain future. And I thank you for these words. As, as tough as some of them can, may be, it doesn't matter. We have to preach it, believe it, and, and, and stand on it. So thank you, God, for your word. And I pray as we walk through this, God, that you continue to just imprint on our hearts that, that you are Lord, you are sovereign king over all of creation and all of history. And thank you for showing us how you're going to complete your plan of redemption. Lord, may you be lifted up this morning and may we, again, learn this and, and understand, but Lord, so that it would, it would motivate us that it would change us, God. Don't, don't let this just be a, a class of learning uh, new tidbits, but Lord, that we would understand your word and know you better and desire to grow in purity and holiness and Lord, to long for your return. We do want that so badly, Lord. Thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. Prophecy. When I uh, told some friends that, yeah, we're headed into Matthew 24 and 25, they groaned. Because prophecy can be very controversial. It can be very confusing. It can be very polarizing, all right? But in the providence of God, that's why, I, again, why I, ver I preach verse by verse through a specific, you know, letter or gospel. I just, because God has decided how to lay it out. And, and many, there's, there's churches where the pastors, they preach their favorite topics, but what happens is you start running out of topics and they start preaching on the same topics over and over again. It's called hobby horses. When we preach verse by verse, what, what do you preach next week? Well, whatever was after the passage we just completed. So we're in a section that is, again, it's Jesus' longest answer to any question he was asked. And because of that, we need to pay attention. <laughs> we love hearing that, by the way. Good morning, Ray Ray. So prophecy, first of all, I want, I want you to understand that, that I want to be careful that we don't, uh, there's some churches where that, that's all they talk about is prophecy. They overhype the text, and, and that's not what we're about. We're going through it, and I, I take extra time to use diagrams because there can be some confusing things. And quite frankly, I know I'm not covering the, I'm covering like the last point right there. There is room for debate about end times. There's some godly men who disagree with the order but that's okay. Okay, even the disciples, how long do they spend with Jesus? Three years. Even after all that time and after spending time with him in the resurrection, they still didn't understand all the timing. He had to explain even again. And here's what Jesus said to them in Acts 1, 9 through 11. He says, look, it's not up for you to know when I'm going to restore my kingdom. Just get to Jerusalem, wait for, you know, what's going to happen next? You just worry about that. Don't worry about the other stuff. All right? So there's room for debate, and that's, and that's all good and fine. But here's the common core. We believe that Jesus is returning. He's going to reward his followers, and he's going to judge mankind and pour out his wrath on sin. That's happening. And so that, that's, that's the common core, and that, if that's a message you need to take away from here for sure. Jesus is going to return. His, his ascension to heaven was not the end of the story. He's returning and uh, judgment comes with him, okay? But we, as Christians, do we fear that judgment? Say no, okay? We can rest, and we'll talk about that real briefly today a little bit. We do not fall under that judgment, okay? Um, also, there's another, there's another thing, and I saw this happen when I was a high schooler in the 80s. Uh, there's a book called The Late Great Planet Earth by Hal Lindsey, 
And there was a lot of hype in the 70s, 80s. Oh, Jesus could be returning any moment. There's signs. Man, he could come back today. But I, I, saw, I saw this a lot as a high schooler. Oh, that person is the Antichrist. And his name adds up to this number. And, and they were seeing all these signs as fulfilling. And Jesus could return. You know what? Jesus could return any moment. But we have to be careful that we don't start looking into the news saying, oh, that's the Antichrist. Oh, oh that's... Uh, no, just... We'll just let Jesus do what he's going to do. What are we supposed to do in the meantime? Make disciples. Be faithful. Make disciples. Proclaim Jesus. And when he decides to come, awesome. All right? But we have to be about our business and not get so caught up in anything like that. Um, but here's the deal. I, I do understand. When we look through prophecy, there should be three results that we should look for in ourselves. And if it just doesn't happen in you, pray about it. First of all, it should, go to the next slide, next slide, there we go, it should excite you. There's hope, the hope of his return. When he comes back, that's our, that's our king. That should give you amazing hope. You should be excited about that, okay? Because when we look at some of the details, we're like, whoa, that's kind of scary. But don't forget, that's our king who's returning. He's not going to nail us with this stuff, Okay? There should be hope because Jesus is returning. It's the end of the story. Okay, I long for that because when he comes back, I know what I get, a glorified body. And I get eternity, and I know we are looking forward to no more sin, sadness, or death. I like that. I don't know about you, but that sounds good to me. So I, that excites me. It also should energize us, right? We want to energize to be growing in purity. The, the thinking about the, our Lord returning should motivate us. I want the master when he returns to find me in a better place than I was yesterday. Right? Growing in purity, growing in Christ-likeness, growing in godliness, and growing in, in being fruitful for him, telling people. I, I, I pray that that would happen in all of us, that we'd be energized to grow in purity, but to grow in, in witness. All right? Oh, I forgot to read the verses. That's probably you should read that. We're waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. That is our blessed hope. But in this one right here, beloved. Oh, Sylvia, this is the one I was looking for this morning during prayer meeting. Beloved, we are God's children now, and what we will be has not yet, has not yet appeared. But we know that when he appears, when is he going to appear? At the second coming. It could be any time. But when he appears, we shall be like him. Not unredeemed Christ, I'll be fully redeemed Christ. I can't wait for that. Because we shall see him as he is, and everyone who thus hopes in him does what? Purifies himself as he is pure. And then the last part, which is, should be so clear when we look at the end times, is that this is a time where God will be exalted. Because right now, the world is like, ah, oh, that Christians, well, they're kind of, it's getting more hostile here and all that. But they kind of poo-poo the God of the Bible, that Jesus guy. You guys, when he returns, there is no more competition. It will be clear to all the earth when he returns. Every, every person's going to see him. It says, every knee shall bow and tongue confess. But the problem is, is that they're not all going to confess in a saving way. It'll be forced. Oh, my goodness, he is God, and we're in trouble. Okay, so please note, but it's, God is going to be vindicated. Jesus, all of his promises at that point will be totally fulfilled, totally completed, and his name will be exalted, lifted up. 
The whole earth will see that he is indeed God of all gods and king of kings. All right, so those are the kind of things in prophecy that should be being produced in us. I can't wait for his name to be vindicated, right? Because right now it's a, a claim amongst many claims, but not at the end of the story. It's like, no, Jesus is God. Amen? All right, so that's what I hope kind of we see develop in us more and more. And then, again, I'm doing a lot of setup for this because the passage is, is pretty clear and we'll walk through some of this. But I want you to know, kind of, I've been asked several times because when we start looking at all these details and I bring in other verses, it can get confusing to some degree. I'm going to lay out how I see things playing out in general here, okay? And, and just, I'm a futurist. I'm a premillennial. I believe Jesus is going to return and set up a kingdom. But let me walk through that real quick, okay? First of all, I don't believe that A.D. 70, the fall of Jerusalem, was the fulfillment of Revelation. There's some who believe that. I don't believe that. And I, I've laid out some reasons why, all right? Um, but I believe that there's going to be a rapture. You've heard of the rapture. I'm not going to fight you over it, but I do believe that from, because of 1 Thessalonians will be caught up in the air with him, and he will take us away for a time, and that is when our judgment is going to happen. Believers are going to be caught up in the air with those who are dead in Christ, and we will, be, we will go before the Bema seat of Christ, it says in, in Corinthians. And that word Bema seat is a judgment seat, but here's the deal. In the Corinthian games, the only people who went in front of the Bema seat were the victors. Is a, it was a rewards ceremony. So we're not going to be judged, are we saved or not? The fact that we get up, caught up with him says, hey, we're saved. It's a rewards time. At that point, we'll get our glorified bodies, and then we just wait until Jesus completes this tribulation, and we'll come back with him. All right? There will be a seven-year... I don't know if the rapture, if the rapture happens and the seven years starts right away, but I believe there's a tribulation close on its heels. All right? And there will be a real antichrist, not just, because right now there are antichrists. Anyone who is against Jesus and leads people away from him, they're called an antichrist. That's what John says in 1 John. But, but there is a capital A antichrist who is coming. And he will make a covenant with Israel and break it midway through. It's a covenant of seven years, but he's going to break it at three and a half. We're going to look at some of those verses today. All right, And the sign of his breaking will be the abomination of desolation. That's in verse 15. That's the first thing we'll look at this morning. But it's going to kick off what's called the great tribulation. The tribulation of seven years is bad, but halfway through towards the end, it gets real. It's called the great tribulation. Okay, um, Jesus, at the end of that, is going to return with his army after the seven years, and he's going to come... How is he going to come? What? On the clouds, because that's the way he ascended. It's also talked about in Daniel 7. It's also, the angels said that. Hey, as you saw him go, so he's going to return. Where else? What else? What are some other details you know? Mount of Olives. He's coming back to a specific place. Okay, so yeah, the Mount of Olives will split too. But here's the deal. He will come with markings that you will recognize because it says that they will look on him whom they have pierced. Jesus, when he, when he appeared to Thomas, after his resurrection, before he ascended, what did he show Thomas? The mark, the, the mark his, his piercings. So for, for some reason, he's going to have those and they'll be able to recognize. That's the one we pierced. And they'll repent, okay? So it's going to be, and it's going to be not in secret. It's going to be public. And, and how's it going to happen? Over decades? 
We're going to see in passages it says from as like lightning from the east to the west. Boom! But it's going to be worldwide and everyone will see it. Okay? And people used to ask, well, how can that happen if it's on the other side of the globe? What can we say now? Internet, TV, streaming, okay, whatever. All right, so you guys got that. So, he's going to come back to a specific place. And by the way, he's going to be there to rescue Jerusalem at that point because all the armies will be gathered against it. He's also going to gather the elect from all over the earth at that time. People say, well, if you believe the rapture, isn't that for the elect? Well, what's going to happen during the tribulation? Are there going to be any more elect? Well, yeah, because there's going to be 144,000 evangelists who are Jewish. There will also be two witnesses. We see that in Revelation. That's more detail. I'm not going to bring in every detail. And there's also going to be an angel, says, that proclaims the gospel throughout the whole earth at the very end. There will be elect. Okay? God does not disappear from the earth. He just pulls back a restraint, according to Thessalonians, and it's going to get evil, but there will still be worldwide evangelism going on. Okay, there will be a lot to gather. Um, after crushing, when Jesus lands and crushes the armies, he's going to have the separation of the sheep from the goats. We'll see that later on in Matthew. And then those who are his get to enter into the kingdom. He sets up a thousand-year kingdom where he reigns. Jesus himself reigns on the Davidic throne in Jerusalem. Well, Jerusalem will be the center of the nations. They will come and pay homage to Jesus who will literally reign. At the end of that thousand years, oh, and by the way, Satan during that thousand years will be imprisoned, so there, he will be locked up, but he'll be loosed at the end of the thousand years, and he will lead one more rebellion, and God's going to step in, snuff it out, he's done. And that point will be the great white throne judgment. And that is for where the, the Lamb's book of life is opened up. And if you're written in it, what, is, what happens? Eternity with God. And if you're not in the Lamb's book of life, then you're, where are you going? Eternity in the lake of fire. And that's in Revelation. It's very clear. Okay? I don't rejoice over that, but that's what's going to happen. So there's, there's kind of the broad sweep. And, and by the way, people talk about the eternity future. What's next? I don't know. But every time it's described, it's way better than now. And we're not floating on clouds playing harps. We will be given jobs to do in a recreated new heavens and new earth, serving him however he wants us to. Are you okay with that? I am. <laughs> no more sin, no more death, no more sadness. Sign me up. And we will recognize each other, by the way. Hopefully you, some of you will look better. Okay, that was a joke, by the way. I'm just kidding, okay? And pot calling the kettle black is what's going on here. No, I can't wait. Okay, so that's kind of the broad spectrum of how I see this playing out. But again, the core is what? Jesus is going to return. It's going to be physical, visible, everyone to see, and he brings reward for his people and punishment for those who, who rebel against him, okay? So where are we... Not in our passage, but where are we in redemptive history? We're in the times of the Gentiles, also known as the church age. This was an age that the Old Testament did not see. Paul called it a mystery now revealed. A time where Israel has been set partially hardened, set aside temporarily, and the times of the Gentiles are where the Gentiles are being brought in to God's family. But God's not done with Israel yet. But this is called the church age, okay? That's God's redemptive plan. That's where we're at. In the passage, okay, in the passage now, 
we are, we are addressing, again, their three questions that they asked Jesus in verse 3 of chapter 24. They had just watched Jesus on the Temple Mount just going after the religious leaders. It, Jesus could not have done it in, unless he started flashing lightning down and zapping them. He couldn't have been more harsh with them, these religious leaders, the seven woes. And he did it publicly. But then he ends up in verses 37 through 9 with a, a final, just a kind of a judgment on the Temple Mount, the worship that was happening there led by these false leaders. He would called it desolate, empty. And then walking away, walking out, they're looking at these buildings, the disciples saying, look how magnificent these are. And Jesus saying, they're going to be toast. And that happened in AD 70. And so he stood, and they said, well, what are these things going to be? Because again, in their thinking, the Jewish disciples, their thinking, how they've been brought up is that they thought that when the Messiah returned, all that whole thing I laid out for you would all happen at once. They had no idea about this church age. They thought when the Messiah shows up, Jesus did that, the triumphal entry, right? He's praised. He came into the temple. He cleansed the temple. Cool. That's what the Messiah is supposed to do. He's going to crush the enemies. They thought, well, right now he's going to go out and kick out the Romans. That's what they thought they were, he was going to do. They even asked him again, after again, after the resurrection. So are you going to restore the kingdom now? That means kick out the Romans? They, that's what they thought. He's like, no. Here's what's going to happen. So he's going to address, he's telling them how things are playing out because they needed their thinking changed, and quite frankly, we do too, right? We need this to help us see history differently, right? When we look at God's Word, here's what's happening. I have terrible vision. I see some of you. I put on glasses and I can see. We need God's Word to give us clear sight about our lives, about God and His ways, but this specifically says, here's how the king of history is going to bring history to an end, Okay? So, now for the passage, all right? Jesus reveals in this specific passage the key sign that the people of this generation, what generation is he talking about? The generation that's going to see the big signs of verses 4 through 14 as they start kicking into gear and getting more and more intense like birth pains. That generation who sees that happen, when they see this, ooh, pay attention, Pay attention and do something about it, all right? And that's verse 15. So when you see the abomination of desolation spoken of by the prophet Daniel standing in the holy place, let the reader understand, okay? Here's the sign. You ask for signs, here's the key sign is what he says. Know that you must understand and act. And when he says you, he's talking about the prophetic you, the you of that generation, he says, Matthew has to insert, you guys, hey, abomination of desolation, let the reader understand. That means go back and look at where that comes up in Scripture. Okay, and that's in Daniel 9.27 and chapter 12 of Daniel as well. But here's what you need to know about the tribulation. Okay, according to Jesus, it's going to be a unique time in all of history. Okay, it's one prophesied about, but one that even has necessary boundaries. How, where do I get that from? It says that if it was not shortened, all mankind would die. It has limits, and the limits are seven years, okay? And, and the, it's called the day of the Lord in Scripture. It's also called the great day of the Lord. It's called Jacob's distress, a time of trouble of Jacob. 
Okay? And yet, though, as scary as it is, we see that God is in charge of what feels like chaos. Because the people who, when you read Revelation where there's a lot more information, the people going through it are scared to death, paralyzed by fear. What's going on? The Bible tells us clearly God's in charge of all this. He's sovereign. He's still in charge. Trust in Him. It's, he's charged because this is to, the, to finish and accomplish His redemptive plan. It's also a time where he uses to return Israel to him, finally bringing them back in, this rebellious people. And Israel, too, during this time, will be delivered, it says. He's there to deliver Israel, physically saving them. Again, that didn't happen in A.D. 70, nor in A.D. 138, the Bar Kokhba uh, revolution. More tons of Jews were killed. There's no deliverance of them. They were kicked out of the land. It was terrible. There is a future fulfillment of this, where there's deliverance and salvation. It's spoken of in Deuteronomy 4.30. When you are in tribulation and all these things come upon you in the latter days, that's another code for end times, you will return to the Lord your God and obey his voice. Jeremiah 30, verse 7. Alas, that day is so great, there is none like it. It is a time of distress for Jacob. For the Jews, yet he shall be saved out of it. So it's a unique time in all of history. The tribulation is marked off by a midway point, but three and a half years, okay? It's, it's the unique turning point during the tribulation where things go from bad to worse to terrible, okay? It's called the Great tri- Tribulation, and there's, there's many passages that talk either about three and a half years or half the week, or it's called 42 months, which is how many years? Three and a half years. Or it's 1,260 days, which is three and a half years. Okay, and there I, can, I think I put the passages up there. And finally, the tribulation will be a time when there's going to be a, a unique ruler, an evil ruler who will be unveiled. Okay? We've had terrible leaders, or, you know, evil people throughout history, right? Uh, you can think of Stalin, Hitler recently. Though These two guys, there's been... Many evil men from the past, Nero, I mean, just there's, but they pale in comparison to this coming Antichrist, okay? They pale, all right? And matter of fact, I want to run through some passages that talk about this, this man of lawlessness, just so we understand how bad he is. First of all, the characteristics, he's, he's called the desolator. That's from Daniel where he desolates the temple. But he's, he rejects all religions and demands himself to be worshipped as God. That's from 2 Thessalonians 2.4. He he's, has haughty words, arrogant words, where he's defiant against anything and everybody. He blasphemes the God of the Christians. And he makes war on those who are followers of God, those who become saints or become Christians during the tribulation. And he demands and claims authority to rule the whole world. He will demand worship. And Revelations 13 says there will be a false prophet who will have special powers. He can even call down fire from heaven. Did anyone else ever do that? Elijah. Okay. So he's going to mimic Elijah. Okay. So the reason, okay, the reason I bring that up is because we have to understand there's going to be massive deception. There's already been massive deception, but this is going to be the worst in all of history. And then you're going to have this guy who's going to be so powerful, the whole world wants to follow him. He's going to have a false prophet who can do signs and wonders, 
calling down fire from heaven and demand that you worship the image of this Antichrist. Revelations 13. And by the way, has an evil ruler ever demanded that you worship his own image? Nebuchadnezzar? What happened to the three Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego? Right? God delivered them out of that, but that's all going to happen. But here's the deal. The signs of that, there's a big signs and wonders movement here. It's around the world, but mainly here in the U.S. You guys, signs and wonders should not be what you look for. The Antichrist is going to be bringing signs and wonders. That's why we have to have God's word and constantly in God's word because that's going to be our sure foundation. It says, again, the Antichrist is going to be, he's going to deceive many and even if possible, the elect. It's going to be that crazy. That's why I keep saying this. We need God's word. And if I'm right about the rapture, I won't be here and you won't either. But these kind of, that's so cool about the internet is that there's going to be a lot of proof to people who become Christians to look, oh, there'll, there'll be things for them to look. They'll be, have God's word to say, oh my goodness, uh, those Christians are gone. I'm a Christian now. What do I do? Well, they have God's word to stand on, to be warned, don't follow this Antichrist who's coming, okay? Let's say I'm wrong about the rapture and we go through the day of wrath, the tribulation. What do you and I need to do? Flee, we'll see that in here. And know that it doesn't matter if this great world ruler comes, we don't follow him, do we? Why not? Why not, folks? He's the wrong one. <laughs> Jesus warned us, don't be fooled. We know exactly how this world, the right world ruler is going to come back. We know exactly how. He, Jesus said it. That's why I've been emphasizing over and over again. He's going to come on the clouds like lightning to the Mount of Olives to deliver Israel. He's going to have pierce markings. Okay, don't forget that. Okay? So, there we go. I, I got off that enough. Let me look at Daniel 9, 26 and 27 because that's really the, one of the key touchstone passages to briefly look at. So in Daniel 9, he's getting, he's getting a vision from the Lord about the future. He's talking to an angel, and he unveils this end time. And we talked about uh, verses 24 and 25 before. But let me just hop into this real quick, where it says in uh, verse 26. And after the 62 weeks, he's already mentioned seven before, so it's basically after 69 weeks, 483 years. So it brings us up to A.D. 30, Passover. I won't go into all this stuff on that. You can see in my notes if you want it. Or in a good commentary, they have them too, how the days work out. And after 483 years, an anointed one, that's the Hebrew for Messiah, an anointed one, shall be cut off. What does that mean? He's going to die. Who's, who's being talked about here? Jesus. He's going to be cut off and shall have nothing, meaning he's dead. All right, so it looks like it's the worst defeat. He's the Messiah, but he's been defeated, it looks like. But is that the end of the story? No, God used that. That's what, again, in 1 Corinthians, says, that's the stumbling stone for the Jews. Because in their mind, the Messiah would come and conquer. But Jesus hung on a cross, which made him cursed, not a conqueror. He was defeated. And that's their stumbling stone. But that's, it's prophesied right here. And then he goes on to say, it says, and the people of the prince who is to come, the, oh, another prince is being talked about here, shall destroy the city. What city is being talked about? Jerusalem. 
okay? And the sanctuary, the temple. Its end shall come with the flood, and the end there shall and to the end there shall be war. Desolations are decreed. It's also talked about in eleven uh, in eleven and in twelve uh, different different aspects of it. Um, okay, I'm, I have to jump past some of this stuff. The prince who is to come. Okay, there's a prince. The anointed one comes, and then there's a prince who is to come. All right, this is a different person than that other prince, the Messiah. He's a false Messiah. And what does anti mean? Antichrist? Anti means what? Against. It also means instead of or in place of, okay? So that's what it's talked about, right? He's a false Messiah opposed to the Messiah. And in verse 27, it says that this prince that comes shall make a strong covenant with many for one week, seven years. And for half of the week, he shall put an end to sacrifice and offering. So halfway through, he's going to break the covenant. So when he says he's, there's offerings and sacrifices, who is he talking about? The Jews in the temple. Okay, so he's going to make a covenant of peace. And I showed you in Revelation, this world ruler is going to bring peace. But here, he's going to have a peace with the Jews, but then halfway through, he's going to make an end to it. And on the wing of abomination shall come one who makes desolate. He's going to bring in this abomination until the decreed end is poured out on this desolator. Okay, he, so he's going to bring and do something in the temple that makes it desolate. Again, this was partially fulfilled, we see this from Daniel 11, by a guy named Antiochus Epiphanes. Okay, that happened in 167 or 168 BC, uh, before, 130 years before what Jesus is referencing in, in Matthew. Okay, it had happened before Jesus' time. This evil ruler had... He hated the Jews. He was a Greek. He, was, he hated the Jews. I'm going to way summarize it. But he went into the temple, set up an, uh, an idol to Zeus, and then sacrificed pigs on the altar, making it unclean. And that's what started a revolt of the Jews under the Maccabees, and they cleansed the temple. There's cool stories with all that. But this is, that happened before Jesus' time. So it says, well, it was fulfilled already. No, it wasn't, because Jesus, what did he say about that? It's going to be fulfilled in the future. So what happened with Antiochus Epiphanes was a type that's going to be fulfilled by the number one thing that's to come, okay, the real thing. It's called type and anti-type, just in, in theological circles, all right? So there's something more to come here, and it's going to be uh, halfway through this covenant, he, he does this thing where he makes desolate the temple by doing this terrible thing, and it's going to be not just against everybody, it's against specifically the Jews, Okay? Uh, we can see in Revelation 13 where, where this is where the abomination of desolation is given even more details. The Antichrist will erect a statue to himself, not to Zeus, but to himself in the temple, and the false prophet will demand people to worship. And if you don't, what happens to you? You're killed. And he's going to, again, he's going to be able to call down fire from heaven. Oh, this must be the right thing. No, it's not. This is fake. But there's also a decreed end. This guy's going to look so powerful and people are going to be so amazed, but here's the deal. Who's in charge? God is, and there's a decreed end for this man and for this false prophet. We see that in Revelation 19. Who brings about that end? Jesus, when he returns, he is going to do some major stomp on this. So all that being said, 
Verse 15 of Matthew 24 says what? When you see this happen, what do you do in verse 16? Run! It's real simple. Flee. The rest of the story is, from here is pretty simple. When you see the specific sign happen, flee. Flee. Then let those who are in Judea. Okay, where's Judea? It's in Israel. It's, that's the county that I've just used that as a term, where Jerusalem is. So that's why we specifically say this is, the Jews got to pay attention to this. When you see this happen, get out. And when it says run, flee to the mountains, who's been to Israel here? Anyone here? Some of you. Okay, you've been to the Judean wilderness. I mean, it's like the, it's like the moon out there, and there's caves everywhere. I climbed in some of those caves, and it's really fun. A little scary. You're climbing way up these steep ravines and stuff, but it's, it's great places to hide. And we see David when he fled from Saul. You guys read the stories in, in, in 1st, 2nd, well, it's actually 2nd Samuel, 1st Samuel. He's, he's hiding in these caves, and, and, and he's got a you know, group of like four or 500 men with him, and Saul can't find him. And there's, there's some funny stories that happen and all that, but he's being very specific here. Hide! Get out! All right? Let the one who's on the housetop, housetops there were flat, you could work up top or just relax. He says, if you're on the housetop, what are you supposed to do? Don't go back in the house to take what is in, the, in your house. Don't even go back in. If you see this happen, get out. It's that urgent. Why? Because judgment is coming. So I, when I was a high schooler, I wasn't a Christian yet, but I was going to youth group, and they talked about, and they were using this passage. You know what they used to talk about? The rapture. This isn't about the rapture. There's, we'll see also in the next chapter too. It says, one will be taken, the other left behind. That's not talking about the rapture. That's talking about the judgment. It's going to be severe and swift. Flee when you see the abomination of desolation. Flee, hide, get out. Don't run back into your house. Get out. Let the one who's in the field not turn back to take his cloak. You're working in the field. You, lay, you take off your jacket because you're getting too hot. He's saying if you see this happen, this abomination, get out. Don't go grab your jacket. Get out. That's how urgent it is. That's how terrible the judgment is going to be when it comes. Um, housetop, fielded work. Oh, and, and alas, for women who are pregnant and for those who are nursing infants in those days, you have to flee so fast, but it's harder when you have a child, right, Terrell? You got to care for a little one, take care. You can't run as fast and stuff, and it's going to be scary. I mean, when you look at the history of, of man with all the wars, what happens to women who have nursing babies or are pregnant? There's terrible atrocities done. He's saying, oh, man, it's going to be bad then, too. It's going to be worse. Pray that your flight may not be in the winter on a Sabbath. Why not in winter? Well, it's because it's cold, and if it's like here the last few years, it's raining, it's muddy, it's hard to travel fast. You've got to flee. Sabbath, what's the deal with Sabbath? Well, if you're in you know, Israel during the Sabbath, everything shuts down. Public transit's, transit's done, Right? So pray that it doesn't happen then because you got to get out. you got to get out quick. you got to get out quick. So that's, that's the, the, the sign to watch out for and how you respond to. But then he starts to talk about the great tribulation more in verses 21 through 28, this last three and a half years. It, the greatest time of tri- tribulation has a necessary limit. Verse 21, for then there will be great tribulation such as not been from the beginning of the world until now, no and never will be. And if those days had not been cut short, no human being would be saved. But for the sake of the elect, those days will be cut short. 
So when it says, for then, it's talking about right after the abomination of desolation, when that sign happens, the great tribulation starts, all right, for three and a half years. And again, it's going to be the worst ever. A.D. 70 was bad. A.D. 135 was bad. But you know what? The Holocaust in the 20th century was way worse than then. More Jews were killed. But it says that this is going to be the worst in all of mankind's history that's yet to come. John in Revelations, when he wrote, wrote the book of Revelation, that was in the night. In the, okay, I passed by that. Let's just keep going. The great tribulation is intentionally cut short. It has to be limited. If you read Revelation, it looks like half the world, after all the things are done, is going to die. How many people in the world right now? About 7 billion there's 350 million in the United States. Half the world will die. That is going to be carnage like we've never seen. Never seen. World War I, they called it what? The war to end all wars? No, it's not. This will be. But he says he's going to, you know, for the sake of the elect, those days will be cut short. Here's the deal. There will be elect, I've already mentioned that, because people will become Christians during this time because the God will always leave behind His witness, a remnant who will testify. There's going to be 144,000 Jews, according to Revelation. There's going to be two witnesses who will be powerful and the world will hate them for it, but many will be saved. So God intentionally cuts it short for their sake. It is a time of great deception I mean, again, this is, I, I know I've hammered this again and again, but we need to know this. Then if anyone says to you, look here, there's the Christ. Hey, he's out there. He's over there. Don't follow. Don't be deceived. Okay? Watch out for these deceivers. Don't follow the crowd. Stick to what you know. The real Jesus is returning in the in time we've already rehearsed, right? Mount of Olives, on the clouds. You can tell who it is. You know, like lightning from east to the west, the whole world will see it indisputable. Don't go follow these great leaders who might be out in the wilderness over there or in the room over there. Don't believe it. Watch out for these signs and wonders. They'll have amazing powers. Don't believe it. I've already talked about that. In what it says, so as to lead astray, if possible, even the elect. That phrase right in there. Is it possible to lead astray the elect? Is it possible? No, okay, this phrase is if possible, meaning it's not, okay? What you need to know, if you are saved, you believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, and, and you know the right, the, the basics, we talk about the gospel all the time here, right? And, you, and you're doing your best to be pursuing him, okay, that doesn't save you, but that shows fruit that you're really saved. Here's the deal. You don't hear from heaven, hey, you're one of the elect, okay? But if you can look at your life and see there's been a change going on, Oh, okay, that's first, uh, Second Peter 1, verses 8 and 9 says, that's a sign to me that I have been saved, and I, I can actually be assured of my salvation. Verse 10, first, it's Second Peter 1, five, uh, 8 through 11 is a great little passage on that, the assurance of salvation, that you're one of God's elect, okay? So here's the deal. If you're elect, you can't be plucked out of God's hand. It says that, right? Now, let me just read you. John 10, 28 through 29, Jesus speaking, I give them eternal life and they will never perish and no one will snatch them out of my hand. That's not my words, that's Jesus' words. So if you are one of Jesus's, if you are in him, united to him, if you're a Christian, how strong is his grip? How strong is his grip? 
or C. Okay, that's enough. You're cheating, Jay, looking up other passages. Yes, we've been given the Holy Spirit. He says he's our seal, our guarantee. So what God guarantees, does he ever go back on? No. You just go through verse after verse. You can't lose your salvation if you're truly saved. And you can look in Romans 8, 28 through 30. 2 Timothy 2.19, John 10, 4 through 5. Okay, so here's the deal. You're, you belong to, God will save his elect. He's good at that. He's better than me at that. So all this passage, when these, these, these phrases, the, you see the description, it's going to be scary. There's no doubt. But God will preserve his saints and God will vindicate his name and God will bring to end this grand plan of redemption with Jesus being unveiled before all the earth to all see, and they'll say this, whoa, there's the king. Amen? Okay, so what does this do for us today? I don't know if Jesus is showing up today, but here's the deal. I have a lot of friends who, if Jesus were to show up today, they're in trouble. And that this, I want them to know Jesus. If you're here today and you're still like, oh, I don't know about this Jesus thing, you know what, please don't, don't blow them off. You can't. This is the most important decision. This is, this, is, this is the only one that matters in all of life. This is the one that has eternal consequence. There's no other name by which men will be saved that of Jesus Christ. That's Peter in front of the Jewish Sanhedrin. Jesus himself, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No man gets to the Father except through me. This is, this is, this is eternity. But the thing is, is, we're not just talking about salvation as a past event. It also gives you now a new identity, a new purpose. I don't live for Chris Zeal anymore. I live for him who died for me. If you're a Christian, you don't live for your own self. We have things we do during the work and all that. We want to take care of our families, but that's not our, our main purpose, is it? It's to live for Jesus, to tell people about Jesus. Because this life is short and it's fleeting. Man, is it going fast. I'm 51. <laughs> It's going fast. It's short. But I have eternity to look forward to, right? Do you look forward to that? Oh, man, I can't wait. Let's pray. And, uh, oh, by the way, as we pray, this is Benevolence Sunday. So please, your gifts for benevolence help those who have needs. And there's people in our church who we get to help. It's a blessing. And so there's envelopes on the back table. Arthur's kind of holding one up there. Today, at the end of the service, uh, if you'd fill one out, if you could contribute, that'd be great uh, so we can keep blessing people in our church who need it, okay? Let's pray, and then uh, we'll have our final song. Lord, thank you. Thank you for your words. Thank you for, well, the hope we have. You, the, your appearance is our blessed hope. And it's hard, to, it's hard to imagine how, if things are so scary, how you could be our blessed hope. But Lord, that's, you are hope because you are, you are coming to, to save your people. You're coming to finish the story, the grand plan of redemption. You're coming to set up your reign. You are reigning, but now you will reign here on earth. You will be establishing justice. And Lord, we have so many things to look forward to. So God, in our day-to-day, help us to bring uh, this picture of your second coming. It says in Titus that, that your grace saves us, your grace sanctifies us. It helps us 
make decisions to put off sin and put on godliness, but it says that your grace also helps us long for your coming. And we do long. God, we want to be people who just can't wait for you to return. But help us to share this good news, Lord. Help us to share this saving gospel to our friends. And Lord, may may our, our feeble attempts, God, may you use that powerfully to prove your power, to prove that you're God bringing salvation to the lost in our lives. That we, God, we want to see a harvest. We want you to bring more people into the family. God, please let it be so. We're your workers. Send us. We love you, Lord. Thank you. In Jesus' name, amen.